Welcome back to Propel, Allen and Overy's podcast covering all things related to self-driving cars. In this episode, we take a deep dive on one of the technologies enabling these revolutionary vehicles, light detection and ranging, or LIDAR, and how artificial intelligence is used to take advantage of the data coming from these remarkable sensors. Here with us are our guests, Harriet Ravenscroft and Niall McCarroll, two scientists who have focused a great deal of attention on AV technology. Niall is a research associate with Ulster University's Legal Innovation Center. The center promotes and supports technological innovation in legal services and access to justice. Niall has a PhD in computer vision and bio-inspired face detection. Niall's main research interests include bio-inspired adaptive systems, machine learning, natural language processing, data modeling, and the automation of legal analysis. Holding a PhD in stem cell biology, Harriet applies her background to convergence of life science and healthcare to technology, a convergence that is plainly occurring in the automotive industry. She is now a scientific and technical analyst within Allen and Overy's Legal Services Center and has applied her skills on issues ranging from data privacy to artificial intelligence. Harriet and Niall, thanks for joining. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate the invite. Harriet, maybe starting with you, what is LIDAR? Great question. So to start off with, one of the challenges for an autonomous vehicle is really how it perceives its environment. Where we as humans have eyes to see our surroundings, autonomous vehicles use sensor technologies, and LIDAR is one of these sensor technologies. As you rightly said, LIDAR stands for light detection and ranging. Where sonar and radar use sound waves and radio waves, LIDAR uses laser light pulses. These LIDAR systems emit these light pulses, and when they collide with an object, they're reflected back towards the system. These reflected points are then used by the system to generate a 3D rendering of its environment. And in this way, we can think of LIDAR as being the eyes of the vehicle. Got it. Now, I've seen some of these self-driving cars driving around. Which sensors are these? Is there an easy way to point them out on these cars? Yeah, so if you're seeing a self-driving car driving along on the road, what you'll see on top is this big camera-like thing, and it's spinning in circles, and that's the LiDAR system. It spins in a 360-degree angle, giving it a 360-degree view of its environment. Well, so I'm curious about why is this better than sonar and radar, and why is it worse? But before we get there, when was this LiDAR developed, and by whom? So this is a relatively new technology when you compare it with the likes of cameras or sample radar. It was developed in the 1960s and 70s by NASA and the US military. And the early uses for LIDAR were mostly for topographical mapping of terrain. And really interestingly, LIDAR was actually used to map the surface of the moon during the Apollo 15 space mission. So if it's being used by NASA and the military, it sounds like it's very expensive. Is this realistic to be using on self-driving cars? Like many of the newer technologies, LiDAR is currently expensive and not really yet at the stage of being commercially viable. So until very recently, high-end LiDAR cost in the thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars. However, really like any technology with market demand, that cost is being driven down. There are several companies developing LiDAR systems in the sort of hundreds of dollar bracket rather than in this thousands of dollar bracket. The hope is that ultimately this will make LiDAR much more commercially viable. We'll touch on that in a bit. Understood. Now that the cost is driving down, why use LiDAR on these vehicles? What are the advantages of using this technology? Okay, so one of the major advantages of LiDAR is that these systems utilize light and therefore they are capable of mapping their surroundings at quite literally the speed of light. So this makes them much faster than, for example, sonar using sine waves. One of the other advantages that LiDAR has over radar, for example, is that light operates on a much shorter wavelength than radio waves. And what this allows is the LiDAR to detect much smaller objects and with a much greater resolution. 
What is the goal here? I mean, sonar, of course, allows you to notice an object and radar does the same thing. Is this just to see if there's an object there or is there something more involved in what this LiDAR system is meant to provide the car? So essentially what this LiDAR system does is that it provides a live visual representation of the environment. So you could use stored maps, for example, but that doesn't give a live representation for the car. So if a car is driving down the street and a pedestrian steps out, the idea is that a LiDAR system operating much faster than radar would be able to detect this pedestrian and then onboard computers would be able to tell the car to stop and to brake. So you mentioned cost at one point was a challenge, still is a challenge, although that seems like that's coming down and being addressed. What are some of the other challenges with LiDAR that maybe limits its use? So it's interesting that actually developers of LiDAR systems have been quoted as saying that black cars should be banned. And this is really because certain colors absorb light more than others. And black is one of the least reflective colors out there. And as LiDAR relies on accurate reflection off of objects in order to function properly, black cars can pose a real challenge for LiDAR systems. Poor Henry Ford uh, yes. for, 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 for that. It sounds like then LiDAR is limited by the things that might limit light. Is that generally right? Or, you know, things like the conditions of the weather might have an impact. Am I right about that? Completely. So just like humans, LiDAR functions best in good weather conditions. I know I myself feel uncomfortable driving in heavy rain or fog or even snow. And LiDAR really is no different in this respect. So moisture in the air and on roads reflects light in strange ways. As you said, it does strange things to light. And this can pose a real challenge for the LiDAR system to cope with, with the result that in these adverse weather conditions, range capability on these LiDAR systems is generally decreased. But I do think it's important to say that there's an agreement among most developers of self-driving cars that in order to achieve the best results, sensor technology should really be used in conjunction with one another, as each clearly has its own strengths and weaknesses. And a combination of the multiple technologies will really provide the best perception of the vehicle's environment. So LiDAR with cameras, with sonar, the like is what you're referring exactly. to. Exactly. You've been talking a lot about comparing LiDAR to the human eyes, how it sees. How does it see? That's an excellent question. We talked about the system sending out these light pulses and that these light pulses bounce off objects in the surrounding environment. When these pulses return to the system, they result in millions of reflection points. And these reflection points are then used to generate what is known as a point cloud. And then multiple of these point clouds can be overlaid to give each object that the LiDAR senses a recognizable shape. And these shapes are then able to be classified. So whether that be a bicycle or a pedestrian or even a building, once classified, predictions can then be made by the vehicle as to what actions these objects are likely to make based on what the system has classified the object as. And it's really these last two points, the classification and the prediction, that are really key to how a self-driving car thinks. So we as humans have eyes that are able to capture the environment, the information about our surrounding environment, and then our brains enable us to process that information and then take an appropriate action. In order for a self-driving car to achieve the same result, companies are now leveraging the use of AI and in particular, deep learning and machine learning. So interesting. I appreciate the pivot there from LiDAR seeing and the machines then thinking. Niall, maybe that's where we can pick on some of your professional expertise. Thinking. These cars are thinking. It's plain that the information coming from these LiDAR systems is massive. These millions of reflection points, these multiple point clouds being overlaid with each other, this object detection, and then predictions about what they may do, how they may move to allow the car to make some decisions. Walk us through how that happens. How is this thinking done? As Arya was saying, the approach that is used in machine learning is known as deep learning. 
And there's such a vast amount of data that we need, as it were, as the old JAWS analogy, a bigger boat. So we build neural networks with more and more layers of processing. So an artificial neural network is an algorithm that simulates the network of neurons that make up the human brain. And they're able to learn things and make decisions in a human-like manner. These vision systems, through deep learning, can model the different layers of the visual cortex. So we start with very simple age processing, and then you build up a combination of ages to create smaller objects or features that are subunits of an object. And then finally, sort of higher level processing is combining all these features together to identify an object. Deep learning, this type of technology has only really been possible in the past five or six years due to vastly increased computational power. So we have a sort of equation as more data, bigger models, and then more computational power gives us better algorithms, greater insights. So how this all fits together, so we have the machine learning tools now to do this. So how this fits in with the major steps of how autonomous vehicles operate, there's sort of three key stages. The first is perception or scene comprehension, then localization in space and mapping. Those are like bottom-up processes. And then top-down, we have then path planning, which is calculating your trajectory, and then control, which is getting the car to follow that trajectory. So the data that's coming from LiDAR and the cameras and radar is driving the stage one and two perception and localization. And this data input is taken in by different machine learning models plus deep neural networks, and then they perform sort of a sort of a five-stage process of the segment, the scene that's been transmitted to it, uh, which through age detection, then the carried object detection, then uh, classification of those objects. Is it a car? Is it a lamppost? Trying to identify what's an issue and what's not an issue, and then predict the trajectory and speed of these objects. So these multiple outputs are then feeding into like a top-down decision-making. So if you can imagine, there's the core brain activity, the innate activity is the perception and understanding. And then the top-down, higher-level thinking parts of the neural networks to say what path to take and what action to take. Let's break that down a little bit and maybe put it in more simpler terms so everyone can understand. Is there a kind of human experience corollary that you can share with us as you describe this deep learning and these neural networks, uh, you know, labels that are not readily digestible just by those terms, but is there kind of a human experience that we can all relate to that makes us understand? Sure. The nicest example is Harriet was explaining about we will take all these different sensors, the LiDAR, radar, and we want to fuse them together like a combined experience. And this is exactly how humans process data. So if you imagine, if you compare a, a learner driver to an experienced driver, when you start learning how to drive, you are absorbing all the data that's possible. It's nearly overwhelming. I used to remember when I was learning to drive, I would veer off the road when I was going to change gear. As you learn, as the human driver learns to experience more uh, just driving hours, and you filter out irrelevant data and just focus on what's important. That allows them to be more safety conscious as such. And this is exactly what the machine learning systems are doing in autonomous vehicles. They are taking in massive amounts of sensor data. They process it, reduce it down into the simplest features. And then they use techniques such as select, sense, and act, where they focus their processing on the most salient uh, features of the road and what's happened to them. 
techniques such as event-based sensing. Whenever something moves or happens, as you're driving along, the scene doesn't change too much. There's no point in processing too much information or allocating a lot of resource or compute. But when a car comes in from the side, you then get the system to focus, to turn the LiDAR uh, sensors towards that there, allocate more resource and compute. We want to analyze this event uh, in greater detail, focus on the regions of interest, and then start to process that to see if it's a threat or if it's a tree or nothing of importance. So that example of the human driver as a beginner compared to a more seasoned driver uh, makes some sense to me. Those initial stages of learning where uh, it could be driving, it could be really anything, but you have this learning the mechanics of all the details of the windshield wipers are as important as the steering wheel, as is important as the lane changer, as the brakes, as the gearbox, kind of all of that are hyper important in those early days. I get all that. But how do these self-driving cars, they've got all this data, they've got all this object detection, they've got all that in them or available to them. How do they use that past experience to move forward and make decisions on a forward basis as things change for them throughout the driving experience kind of going forward? Well, this is what all the big companies are grappling with because the deep learning approaches that I was describing to you are at this moment considered just slightly not sufficient enough to achieve the level five automation of driving because the problem space is so big. So the kind of traditional approaches, you have supervised learning where humans label data for the machines to learn. They, they sort of point them towards the pattern they want them to learn. And the issue with this is that if you imagine the, the point cloud data that's coming from LiDAR, there's millions and millions and millions of data points. It's just impossible for humans to label that. Plus also, it's very restrictive. A human supervisor is telling the machine what to look for, as opposed to allowing it to experience all events that happen in the wild. And then unsupervised learning, where you do allow a machine to freely learn and experience these different patterns and occurrences, that requires vast amounts of data. So both approaches are considered very data inefficient for what we want to achieve as in learning all possible scenarios for driving. So one of the few solutions, but one of the ones that looks most promising is a technique called self-supervised learning where the actual machine learning models learn to label the data themselves automatically. And this is done through, it's just experiential knowledge by the machines. You pre-train them and they know how to carry out the standard driving functions, driving straight, turning left at traffic lights. But what happens is that if any unusual events occur, such as age cases, for example, a car decides to do a U-turn or an object doesn't present itself the way it normally expects to see that object, then it starts to learn. It learns that new novel case and it updates the model to reflect that. And the examples of why that is so important, if you consider that the cars that are out in the roads currently being tested in June this year in Taiwan, the Tesla autopilot didn't recognize an overturned truck. I hadn't seen a truck at that angle before and crashed in it. So these are the outliers. The self-supervision techniques will hopefully eventually learn through vast amounts of experience. It's an interesting divide between the, the seeing and the processing and kind of understanding it and then making decisions based on that information moving forward. Do I have this generally right? And if, as we go through this process of evolution of these cars, they are using all of that object detection, all the data to effectively assess probabilities almost. 
what's going to happen in their environment over any given time and kind of prepare for, you know, I'll just use some made up numbers here, but 98% of the time, the cars on this road go straight at this time of day under these weather conditions. And so I can predict and expect to continue moving in this direction at this speed with that degree of certainty. But there was that one time where somebody did unusual. So I've got to hold that 2% out there and be prepared that something strange can happen and kind of reacts to that. As that changes over the driving experience, it will change its behavior. Is that generally right? That's right. The standard driving condition, you know, the classification. So the driving straight class, they see that, say, 90% of the time. But those very unusual classes, they don't see that often. So what we do now is we don't bother learning the solved classes, as it were, the solved scenarios. And we just now focus on the novel scenarios and try and upsample them, as it were. We don't want an imbalance of data. We want to generalize across all possible scenarios. Well, that explains then why we hear about the testing that's being done by these vehicles. We hear these astronomical numbers that Tesla, GM, all of the manufacturers of these cars talk about how these cars have driven millions and millions of test miles. Sometimes you hear that they are live on the road and sometimes they're simulated. So both of that is giving these inputs to the car to try to understand what's standard and what's not. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. A couple more questions here. Uh, One of them for you, Niall, and then I'll turn back to Harriet. Can you put all this together for us? You know, I've heard about the cruise continuous learning machine. How does that work? And can you walk us through that to kind of understand all the concepts that you're talking about? Sure. So Cruise, they're a company based in San Francisco, and I think they were recently taken over by GM, General Motors. They have combined this self-supervised learning module with a technique known as active learning. So what they're trying to model is this human intent prediction. We can assume what people are going to do, but then extraordinary things happen. And there's so many multiple objects out there acting that affect other things. So they send their cars out on the roads of downtown San Francisco because there's going to be a lot more of those unusual events happening as opposed to driving in a suburban area. So they automatically identify the errors that are happening and they label and mine those errors. And the important thing is they only flag it if the event is significantly different from what they usually predict. So if you imagine it's their way of coping with this massive amount of data they're getting, it's a very lean way of processing data. They just record the new novel experiences. And what happens is the cars go out driving and they error mine, and they label that data. Then they train a new model, all that new data that they went out and got. Then they test it, they take it out, they deploy the car again, test it. And if it's an improved model, if it's behaving more accurately, then that becomes the new cruise perception model. And apparently they change the AI brain in the cruise cars twice a week. So it's quite an active learning experience. Well, turning back to Harriet for a second, and I know that both of you are scientists and not lawyers, but from hearing all of this, hearing about this 3D mapping, high precision mapping, real-time mapping uh, of LIDAR and how these cars do that as they're driving through our towns and uh, surroundings, the precision of detection, and then thinking about these patterns that may come from all this raises a whole host of issues. Because what I'm hearing from you is as we walk around, or as people walk around, or events happen around these cars, these vehicles are then able to detect it just by happenstance of being near the event, and then have data that's not only available to the car, but frankly, a fleet of cars to be able to understand and recognize patterns of where people are, where people were, how many people with them, 
uh, what time of day, and maybe even you know recording accidents or surveilling people in a way that we wouldn't even recognize because the cars are just driving by. Do I have all that right? In short, yes, you do. So there are a number of issues in relation to these sort of, as you say, mobile constant recording devices, many of which require specialist expertise and many hours of brain power to tease apart, particularly in terms of privacy issues, as you touched upon. And these can vary from country to country. For example, there are potentially apps out there that could be used in conjunction with these self-driving cars that would allow the user to tell the car to focus on a certain license plate. You know, and this raises, as you can imagine, a whole host of privacy issues for people. And that can be quite concerning for the public. Indeed. Well, we'll save that for future casts. We'll have you back to walk us through some of those issues. Very much appreciate, Harriet, Nile, your time on addressing LIDAR and the artificial intelligence driving these truly remarkable cars. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much Thanks, for having Paul. me. Thank you.